Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. The first Australian Prime Minister to visit China in seven years. Anthony Albanese is expected to touch down in Beijing on Saturday to visit China at the invitation of the Chinese Premier Li Qiang and also to attend the China International Import Expo to be held in Shanghai from November the 4th to the 7th. That would make him the first Australian Prime Minister in seven years to visit the country. What lessons has the past seven years taught us? How to avoid them in the future? How to pick up bilateral ties where we left off? Welcome to a special edition of The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. I'm pleased to be joined from Paramatta, a suburb in Greater Western Sydney, Australia, by Professor Barney Clover, and uh, Chancellor and President of Western Sydney University. From Shanghai, by Professor Chen Hong, Director of the Australian Studies Centre at East China Normal University. And from Washington, D.C., by Surab Gupta, Senior Asia-Pacific International Relations Policy Specialist at the Institute for China-America Studies. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. So to help those people who have not been following the relationship of China and Australia so closely, here's a quick timeline. We start in 2016, a former Australian Prime Minister, uh, Malcolm Turnbull, visited uh, China back then. But things quickly turned cool because of a series of incidents, for instance, in December 2017, former Prime Minister Turnbull announced to introduce legislation to counter the threat of foreign states and his quote that the Australian people stood up caused an uproar here in China. In 2018, Canberra passed the Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme Act and later banned Chinese private firm Huawei from supplying 5G equipment, the first major Western country to do so. In 2019, a so-called Chinese espionage case was widely reported by Australian media, China called some media and institutions out for hyping the so-called China infiltration theory. In 2020, China imposed heavy tariffs on Australian barley, suspended imports of cotton, beef and reduced coal imports sharply and launched an anti-dumping probe in Australian, into Australian wine imports. In September 2020, despite WTO's positive assessment on China's COVID-fighting measures, Australia called for an quote-unquote independent inquiry into the origins of the novel coronavirus. In 2021, Australia cancelled deals on China's Belt and Road Initiative. China suspended all activities under the China-Australia strategic economic dialogue, a tariff of up to 200% were put on Australian wine. But in 2022, leaders from both countries started to uh, make efforts to push things back up. Chinese President Xi Jinping met with uh, the current Australian Prime Minister Albanese in Bali, Indonesia. Both sides sent out a positive message. In December that year, Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wan visited China. Earlier this year, China removed the tariffs on Bali and co and timber imports. Ministerial level talks were restarted. Last month, Australia returned three precious cultural relics to China. Meanwhile, China announced that the two countries 
countries agreed to halt WTO dispute concerning Australian wine imports. So I hope this gives you a quick uh, look at the trajectory of how things have been developing over the past seven years. And let me go to Professor Chen first from uh, Shanghai. How do you look at this trajectory? What is the big context of this upcoming visit by Prime Minister Albanese? Yeah, because as you said, you know, since May 2020, you know, Canberra's new government under uh, Anthony Albanese has gradually but steadily working, you know, towards, you know, to, to turn back the decline and the, the, the deterioration of uh, Australia's relations with China. So I think a more realistic and practical approach, you know, has uh, distinguished itself from the uh, previous uh, Morrison government's more reckless, you know, China policy. And in return, China has adopted a equally, you know, pragmatic approach to sometimes disregard the differences, to strive for common ground on which we are able to constructively achieve, you know, practical results. Both countries have been you know, working to seek solutions, as you said, to problems, disputes, and other, other issues, you know, while more importantly, I think, to stabilize and also to develop the financial relationship. So I think this is very important and constructive that we're actually leading towards a further you know, uh, development, not beyond stabilization, but actually further development of the bilateral relations. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gupta, uh, how do you look at the overall atmosphere of bilateral ties in the context of global international relations? I think the two sides have made tremendous strides, frankly, in, in putting a flow under the relationship and then gradually managing the, the, the improvement in ties. Uh, much of this had to do with the change of government in Australia. And this just goes to show that the previous government could have taken tough actions. It did, as you talked about the foreign interference law, Huawei, and, and, and on the COVID origins inquiry. The matter of fact is that in New Zealand too, many of these very similar laws were actually passed or many of these measures were taken. And yet China-New Zealand relations did not plumb the bottom. Uh, it did not happen because New Zealand, even in the context of taking stronger measures, maintained disciplined diplomacy and maintained a cooperative outlook with China so as to stabilize and maintain ties. Meantime, the Morrison government went out of its way to tear up ties and it used Mr. Trump's trade war and thereafter the, the, the breakdown in US-China relations as a means to show its Anglo loyalties uh, to the United States. And that is the reason ties went down the, down the drain. And we can see that the ties were never needed to be this bad. And the, from the Albanese government, we've seen through disciplined diplomacy, even though it has not changed many of those str stringent measures that it took on many of the other fronts that the two countries could actually work together. And that's what they have managed to achieve. And we have to see in this broader environment of international geopolitics and and uh, which the United States ushered in from 2017 or rather 2019 onwards, that there is going to be difficulties for middle class, particularly Anglo-American countries mm. in kind of uh, framing their position within the US-China okay. relationship. But there is no irony out here in maintaining good economic ties with China mm -hmm. while maintaining good security ties with Washington. And the Albanese government, I think, is showing that, that there is no contradiction. In yeah, that. we'll talk about that in just a moment. Let me go to Professor Glover there. What is your take on the lessons to be learned from the past seven years? Why did things go so bad and how did things started to turn around? 
Well, I very much agree with the commentary we just heard about uh, the need for disciplined diplomacy. I think the the challenge in recent years in Australia has been we have had uh, undisciplined diplomacy as a characteristic of the way in which um, ministers and parliamentarians made comment about Australia's foreign policy settings. One thing that we've seen under the Albanese government is a much more disciplined approach to foreign policy, and I think that's helping us in the current environment. I think our foreign minister, our prime minister, our defence minister make comments as appropriate in the context of our trade relationship, our, our security relationship, our, our geopolitical context in Australia. And when it's disciplined and when those comments are made, I think, in the, in the uh, broad sense constructively, even in difficult issues, I agree with Mr Gupta, there are difficult issues here that the two governments need to grapple with. And they need to understand both the security arrangements that countries enter into, as well as the trade relationships and other critical points. But it's discipline, I think, that's made a great deal of difference. New government was always going to be an opportunity for a reset. And I think that's what we're seeing happen. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very important step that we're seeing uh, Prime Minister Albanese travel to uh, to Beijing, to, to China, to meet with President Xi Jinping. That's a very important step. We shouldn't hold our expectations too high, though. This is a point in time uh, rapprochement, if you like. And I think we need discipline. That's the key. Okay. Um, Professor Chen, however, let's talk from the Chinese side. Um, what could have China done? And this is a difficult question. What could have China done better or differently to um, prevent things from derailing? I mean, China held steadfast to its position that, you know, relationship must be stable. We have to work together. Was there something, was there a moment where China could have reacted differently? Uh, I think actually, you know, China has been acting mainly in response uh, to what the Morrison government and also the later half of the uh, Turnbull government have been doing. Uh, that is, of course, in the political level. On the economic level, I think mainly economic issues are economic issues. I don't think actually China was actually really doing something as some Western you know, media outlets have been talking about to sanction, to punish Australia. But actually, all the uh, trade disputes happen all the time, you know, because uh, international relations and international trade, uh, you know, are full of such disputes and, uh, you know, controversies. As long as actually we do not try to politicize the economic issues, then, you know, things could be expected to be solved. Because actually, in the previous several years, the uh, uh, Morrison government had been trying to weaponize or even to demonize China by you know politicizing the uh, economic issues, so that actually things were actually even worsened you know, than it should have been. You know, I think actually in Australia, both Pr Prime Minister Albanese and also Penny Wong, Australia's uh, uh, foreign minister, have been reiterating uh, Australia's policy statements with a particular reference to Australia's relationship with China. That Australia will cooperate where we can. We of course refer to Australia. Australia will cooperate where we can and disagree where we must. I think about this code of conduct. China, you know, sees eye to eye with Australia because there are numerous areas we have uh, where we have you know common and interlocking interests and goals. But we need to recognize differences, which you know sometimes could be significantly contrasting and even more you know contradicting. That is why why I think actually both sides need to see common grounds, you know, while actually retaining and respecting differences. That is the principle that should be guiding 
the Apollo's relations. Let's talk about the upcoming relationship and let's hope that the past seven years episode will not, or seven, uh, five years episode will not repeat mm. itself. Now, um, line of uh, ray of hope, for instance, last week on October the 23rd, China's foreign ministry spokesperson said China welcomes Albanese's visit. Quote unquote, a sound and stable China Australia relationship is in the fundamental interests of both countries and peoples and conducive to peace and stability in the region and the wider world. And she also said that China stands ready to work with Australia to step up high-level exchanges, enhance cooperation and exchanges across the fields, promote continued improvement and growth of bilateral ties and bring more benefits to peoples from around the world. Um, Mr. Gupta, what kind of uh, interests do you think this is going to serve to the people of the region? Stable China-Australia ties are useful and important because they signal that we can be from different cultural and civilizational settings and yet can work together in Asia, which is itself a very, very diverse, diverse continent of religions, cultures, languages, etc. Uh, so it's one can break that divide of between of 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 a of an Asia for Asians and then keeping the Westerners out or alternatively having Western dominance and hegemony over Asians. Uh, I think China-Australia relations, the success of China-Australia relations will show that that is, that is, that that's a false suggestion that it, that it has to be one or one or one of the, one or the either. But what I would also say is China-Australia relations and particularly for the Australians has been a huge economic opportunity uh, given that uh, they have, they are very well endowed with so many commodities. And I would say is that going forward, there's again a tremendous opportunity because in this day and age of decarbonization, uh, Australia again has important commodities like lithium, which are fundamental to the green transition. And this creates another further basis for the, in, for the entanglement of China-Australia ties from an economic perspective, which could be stabilizing even at the political level. And so while climate change is this great challenge facing us, I think China sees it as an opportunity. I think this can be an opportunity for China-Australia ties. And I hope Australia will not buy too much into this US idea of supply chain decoupling such that Australian resources and commodities do not uh, do not feed into the Chinese uh, ecosystem. I hope that will not be the case, and that China can actually make purchases in the commodity space in Australia, and that supply chains between China and Australia can be tightened so that this decarbonization imperative which we face can be successfully trend, can be successfully managed. Professor Golova, um, Mr. Albanese was talking about. Uh, a better, a stable relationship uh, with China is in the national interest, a national security interest of Australia. How do you understand that besides the concrete benefits this might have on the business sector and consumers? Uh, look, I think it's absolutely essential that uh, we have dialogue. I mean, you can't have a, a stable economic relationship or a security or a geopolitical relationship if you don't have a very, very clear dialogue between world leaders. And I think Prime Minister Albanese acknowledges that in his comments, stabilization of this relationship, I think at this time, between a mid-ranked power like Australia and China is a vitally important part of sending a message that 
we can have dialogue, can secure economic ties, we can reopen areas that have been under pressure throughout that chain in your comments. We've got too many problems that have accumulated too rapidly in a very tense relationship. This stabilisation, I think, is globally important at the moment because Australia does have a broader security frame to operate in. So I think it's important vital stabilisation is critical. But it's about dialogue. If you don't have it, if you don't have foreign ministers speaking to each other, prime ministers and presidents engaged, then you make no progress and challenges get much deeper and more difficult to resolve. Mm -hmm. So that's the critical part from the next few days. Yeah. Well, I want to repeat that message that's uh, sent out by the Prime Minister's Office of Australia that uh, the Prime Minister is looking forward to visiting China, which is an important step towards ensuring a stable and productive relationship. Uh, he's, he's quoted as saying, I look forward to further engaging with President Xi and Premier Li in Australia's national interest. I mean, these are very clear messages. These are very eye-catching words, for instance, that he's looking forward and engaging in certain parts of the world, in certain decision-making uh, arenas. This word engaging with China is almost becoming too sensitive to mention. Mr. Chen, how do you look at this very clear message? And is that going to be heeded and re reciprocated by the Chinese leadership? Yeah, definitely. I think actually, uh, you know, it is in both China and Australia's interest to have a stable and constructive and also productive relationship. And uh, since Albanese, you know, took office last year in May, you know, the uh, uh, Labour government has uh, abandoned more confrontational approaches of its uh, predecessor, the Morrison administration, and has resorted to a more you know, realistic, as I said, you know, more pragmatic approach to seek solutions to the problems. And China reciprocally you know, has uh, sat down with Australia to discuss the disputes and relevant issues. And as we can see, consensus you know, have been reached and are all on the way to be reached to solve issues. So what Australia and China have been working conjointly has paved the way to a new stage of the uh, uh, bilateral relations, yeah. in this case, of course, you know, Albanese's mm -hmm. monumental visit mm -hmm. China tomorrow. Another interesting detail that's been referenced to by both sides is the 50th anniversary of the first visit to China by an Australian Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Whitlam, in 1973. Um, the Australian Prime Minister, Albanese, says Prime Minister Whitlam's historic visit laid the groundwork for the diplomatic, economic and cultural ties that continue to benefit our countries today. Mr. Gupta, coming from a third country perspective, how do you look at this reference to that very important milestone in bilateral ties and what are the leadership trying to say by referring to that period of time? Mr. Whitlam was a great prime minister who took an enormous step which took incredible courage to go to China and this step was taken when he was an opposition leader even before Nixon and Kissinger went there. He read the tea leaves much earlier. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it read the tea leaves earlier. He, 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 this was a matter of conviction that Australia could not be just permanently attached to the apron strings of the U.S. alliance. Australia needed an independent posture, an independent position, and it needed to cultivate its relations. It took great courage, and he went there as an opposition leader, and he went back once he came into power. And Mr. Albanese refer referencing that is, of course, talking of this great 50-year period where China and Australia have come so far, 
but he's also referencing that trip in the context of the environment which we face today of a U.S.-China competition which at some levels can easily be avoided and that it takes courage for people like Mr. Whitlam and as he is showing that he can go there, have an independent posture, can he can have good relations and as, as just to take a different name out here, you know, Mr. Gavin Newsom, governor of California, he courageously went to China and he signed a memorandum of understanding on green cooperation with, with Beijing. It takes courage to do that. Mr. Albanese was referencing that courage, that it takes statesmanship mm -hmm. in these circumstances and those statesmen, that act yeah. of statesmanship can engender prosperity, mm -hmm. stability, good relations for all for long periods of time thereafter. And that's what I see in Mr. Albanese when he references Mr. Whitlam out here. Hopefully, hopefully. However, we do have to look at the reality also here that the competition is very fierce between uh, in, in the eyes of the United States that comes from China. Professor Glover, uh, we understand that Albanese paid a visit to the to D.C. last week where he said uh, at the heart of uh, Australia and U.S. alliance, the enduring values that our people hold in common are faith and freedom and democracy. That's why the relationship between Australia and the United States has never been more important and it has never been stronger than it is right now. So uh, it has long been a balance for Australia to strike between a rock and a hard place. We always talked about that. I remember six, seven years, uh, five, six years ago. Do you think Australia has find a way to exist between that hard place and the rock? Well, I think there's certainly um, Prime Minister Albanese, I think, is making a very clear statement visiting the United States and China on this international trip. And I think we shouldn't underestimate the significance of that, those two world powers that uh, the Prime Minister is meeting and to uh, reiterate the strength of the relationship in the case of the United States. But you're, it's a very important point that Mr Gupta makes in relation to the Whitlam uh, connection to this trip. It's a very, uh, Prime Minister Albanese is a is very much a student of the Whitlam era. He understands the politics of that period in Australia, the great Labor politician. My university hosts the Whitlam Institute, so we have an opportunity to, uh, to uh, celebrate the contribution of the Whitlam government and the 1971 and 1973 visits to, uh, to China were very, very important. So I think you have to see this visit by Albanese in that important context. It's about both the United States and China. It's about stabilizing and rebuilding the relationship with China after a period of difficulty. And it's making it very clear that Australia can manage both these very important international partnerships. I'm, I want to stress, by the way, mm -hmm. the word stabilization here is crucial. Stabilization is very much about getting everything on an even keel, working constructively and moving forward. So I think that's a very important word, and I think it's very important to see the historic context, as Mr. Gupta very carefully mm -hmm. explained it, mm -hmm. uh, in relation to the Whitlam visit in 71 and 73. Yeah. Uh, Professor Chen, looking forward, how do you look at the kind of uh, care that needs to be put in from the Chinese side? and also from the, from the Australian side, but from the Chinese side, what kind of care does it have to uh, take to make sure that the new sprout, being very tender, will keep growing? In fact, you know, in these uh, several weeks, I've been you know, writing articles and also speaking at conferences in advocation of a new model of uh, partnership between 
China and Australia because, uh, uh, of course, you know, in 2014, you know, both countries, China and Australia, we elevated our bilateral relationship to one of uh, comprehensive strategic partnership. But against the volatile world full of uncertainties, you know, I have been you know, advocating a new model, which is actually a kind of practical strategic partnership, which would be recognizing differences while actually seeking as much pragmatism as possible. You know, so in other words, we should not be you know, you know, stressing upon the differences. In fact, this morning, you know, I was listening to Australia's ABC program, mm -hmm. yeah, AM program, and one of its, uh, ABC's uh, political reporters was uh, you know, in the program listing differences, in particular geopolitical differences between China and Australia. And he said Albanese should be making those differences clear to China during his visits. So I think such attitudes is simply juvenile and immature. Albanese is not coming here to quarrel, to be divisive. To, you know, the purpose of visits is to seek grounds where we can work together to improve their relationship. So that is what I think uh, should be the, uh, serving as a guideline to guide the future of a bilateral relationship. Professor Glover, yeah, exactly. What are the difficulties on the side of Albanese, Prime Minister Albanese, in uh, stewarding this relation? Very volatile recovery, if if we can call that. Well, there's ne there's obviously um, a political context in Australia. Um, the re-establishment of the relationship is important. The stabilisation is important. We've touched on the trade issues; they're obviously vital. We've seen movement. Uh, from China. I disagree with uh, Professor Chen earlier that uh, these are just the normal cut and thrust of trade relationships between countries. That's not the case here. I think we saw um, a large number of trade disputes uh, arising very, very rapidly in that context. I think it's noteworthy and, and perhaps to be appreciated in the context of the time. But I think it's very important here. There is a political context in Australia. Naturally, we have uh, concerns about uh, some of the tensions in our region uh, broadly. So naturally, stabilisation will help to understand those tensions. I'm sure there will be discussions between our leaders. I don't think it's naive to think that uh, we'll have frank conversations between the Prime Minister and the President. We'd expect it. They should be able to have a frank conversation uh, in a very appropriate and diplomatic way around differences of opinion, but then to stress the positives mm -hmm. and clearly trade yeah. And I'm very interested in the educational links, the people-to-people mm -hmm. -people links, the cultural ties, and very importantly, research collaborations uh, between our two countries. We need to get uh, moving on uh, on the people-to-people -people exchange and opportunity side of yeah. the relationship with China. I hope that's on their agenda. Absolutely. If you want to make things change, you have to be able to talk to them. Many thanks to Professor Barney Clover, Professor Chen Hong and uh, Mr. Surab Gupta for joining us. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with Li Lushin, coming to you from Beijing. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lushin in Beijing. You've got The Point. <laughs>